Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So this is from Deuteronomy um, chapter 15, reading through to verse 18. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan that they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt that your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands that I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but borrow from none, and you will rule over many nations but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Remember, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought, or the seventh year, the year of cancelling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites. And give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything that you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you for six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and he is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your fellow servant. Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free because their service to you these six years has been worth twice as much as as that of a hired hand. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. How are we? Good to hear. I got a haircut. Thank you for noticing, dude. Yesterday, in fact. Um... Uh, Yeah, we're continuing our series in Deuteronomy. These are the words. 
that God gave through Moses to the Israelite people as they enter into the land that God has given them. Uh, let me start off with a story about a guy named Alex. Now, Alex worked at an investment firm, uh, and he was uh, good at what he did, but he was also a bit, uh, um, a bit irresponsible with how he used his money. Uh, he bought lots of things, uh, kept on spending money, spending money, spending, got into heaps of debt, serious debt, uh, to the bank that he was working for, to the point that uh, his boss, Mr. Johnson, recognised how irresponsible he was, he was being with the company's own money to the point that uh, he sent an email, one of those emails, uh, can you come into my office next Monday? Oh dear indeed. And um, uh, Alex knows what's going to happen. He knows he's been irresponsible. He knows he's in crazy amounts of debt to his company. He knows that they're going to take his house. They're going to take uh, his car. That his, his family will abandon him because of of. What the situation he's got himself into. And so he rocks up to work on Monday. He goes into Mr. Johnson's office and he begs, please, please forgive me. I've made such a horrible mistake. I won't do it again. And Mr. Johnson does what no one would expect to do. He forgives him his debt. Clean slate. A second chance. Alex is over the moon. What amazing generosity that he's been shown. And he goes out, he continues working, he tries to do better, uh, but again falls into the same irresponsible habits. And at one point, uh, a colleague of his, Lisa, uh, they go out for lunch, he pays, and the following week he he sends Lisa an email, I just just want to make sure that uh, you've got my bank details so you can pay me back. The next day, he sends another email. Oh, I'm still waiting for that money. The next day, he's like, Lisa, you haven't paid me back. When are you going to pay me back? Now, Mr. Johnson hears about this. And he calls Alex back into his his office. Another one of those emails. And, And he says to Alex, how dare you, after I've shown you such radical generosity, that you don't extend that to others? This is not who we are in this company. And he, uh, he says to Alex, that's it, you're fired and you'll have to pay back your debt. Now this story is a story that Jesus told, not with, about Alex, Miss Johnson and Lisa, but uh, about a servant and his master um, to demonstrate what I think is the key point of today's sermon. The key point of today's passage. If we are Christian and we're forgiven, we've been forgiven a phenomenal debt and we live in God's house. He's shown us radical generosity. How are we going to act towards those around us? How are we going to reflect that same radical generosity to the world around us. Now we're we're continuing in our series where uh, 
the context of Deuteronomy is this is Moses preaching a sermon to the Israelites as they're about to enter into land. And uh, as he's preaching this sermon, he's really unpacking the Ten Commandments. How do we apply and enact the Ten Commandments as the Israelites enter into the land and live out? How do they live out their faith in the context of this new land they're about to enter? And we've, uh, we've covered, you, have, you must have no other gods before me. You must not make for yourself an idol. Uh, you must uh, not t- bear the name of God in vain. And today we're looking at, uh, you must keep the Sabbath holy. And it's really interesting. It's fascinating how Moses unpacks the Sabbath. Because it's not, not so much about you take a rest and you make sure you're all right which is important. There's certainly context for that. But it's as we honour the Sabbath, we honour it in community and we care for those around us. When, when Moses gives the Ten Commandments, the context of when he says observe the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5, he says observe, observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy as the Lord God commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, your son or your daughter or your male servants or your female servants, your ox, your donkey or any livestock or any of the, any of the um, foreigners who are within your gates uh, and that your male, and f- male servant and female servants may rest as well as you. Because he says, you shall remember that you were a slave. You were slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, he says, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Sabbath is not just about rest. It's also about equality. It's about social justice. And as, uh, as Moses unpacks that, he kind of shares what does that look like uh, in the land. And he talks about releasing debts and releasing slaves. Uh, two um, very countercultural laws and two laws that are not very relevant directly to us. I very much hope that no one here has any slaves, although we know it is still an issue globally and we we should recognise that it is a problem in certain areas. But no one here has a slave to release. And releasing debts every seven... Every seven years, all debts are released. That sounds pretty irresponsible, pretty ridiculous, pretty radical. So we're going to uh, dig deep into these. Uh, in my study, I found, I've, I found uh, this quite interesting and quite challenging. And so that's what I hope we'll all experience today. We'll, we'll, this will be interesting for us. Uh, but more importantly, this will be really challenging for us as we look at God's character, his generosity, and how we might live that out in the space that God has given us. And so in Deuteronomy 15, uh, verse 1, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. And what he means is that it is on a seven-year cycle. It's not that a debt lasts seven years, but at the turnover of every seven years, we release debts, all debts or specific deaths are released. It's the end of the seven years. According to Jewish tradition, it was done at the sunset of the last day of of the seventh year. 
And we read this and we think, really? Releasing all debts? Yes, that's the point, releasing all debts. But really? A lot of people have kind of tried to uh, explain this away. Like, is there, is there a way of understanding this that kind of relieves the pressure on the Israelite economy? Like, maybe what it means is a year of debt relief. So in the seventh year, we don't pay any, we don't have to do our repayments or anything just for that year. Um, that, that could be the case, I guess. But then why does Moses make such a point of, of um, trying to, to explain that, yes, this is something we, we do as Israelite people. And I know it's going to be hard, but we do it. It could be um, the release of pledges. So when a debt is raised, as I pledge my house, I pledge my cattle, and it's the release of that pledge. So the payment still is required, but the collateral is released. That could be the case. Uh, but there's, there's passages later on in Deuteronomy that talk about that specifically, and it uses different language. Could it be that what the passage says, that at the end of every seven years you must cancel debts, every creditor shall cancel any loan that they have made to a fellow Israelite, that it actually means they are to cancel debts. And any creditor is to release and forgive debts incurred to them. Now this... this like, it's crazy. This sounds financially irresponsible. My, my dad's an accountant and uh, he's taught me a lot of things about money, which I really appreciate. And I think about this and I go, wow, like how could that work in a society where every seven year old debts are cleared? Now, there's probably restrictions and safeguards to keep uh, people from taking advantage of the system that's just, just not needed, required in our text here. And it's probably not referring to business loans or commercial loans or anything like that. What it's most likely speaking about, again, because of what Moses specifically mentions later on, it's the people who are poor and vulnerable and are in desperate situations. And and the only way they can get out of it is to take a loan and to... uh, use that money to invest in themselves, start a business, do something to break out of the, their p- poverty. And it's the, the purpose of these loans is about getting people out of desperate situations. So the point is not, the, is not to have concern of those who have lots of money. How is this going to affect the creditors? How is this going to affect those who, who loan? And like every seven years, like think of all the income they lose. But how does this affect the poor? How does this affect the poor? In verse 4, Moses kind of explains what is the goal, the purpose of this. He says, there need be no poor among you. If debts are released every seven years, as God commands here, this is an opportunity for people to break free from poverty, to actually go be invested in, try and set themselves up, uh, create a space of, of building their own income and for those seven years or however longer into the seven it is, less than seven, they, they make repayments, they go back, but at the end of it, they're not caught in a constant cycle of debt that they'll never be able to get out of, but they're released and they're set up 
and people can escape poverty. There need not be any poor among the Israelite people. Now, I, um, I'm no economic genius, and uh, I, I, but I wanted to like experiment and, and go down that, that thought of, would this actually work? And I thought, well, I, I've, I've turned to chat GPT uh, for sermons in the past. It's terrible. But I thought, here's a program that could actually do that thinking on my behalf. <laughs> and I asked chat GPT, I set out the, the scenario, what would happen if every debt at the turn of every seven years, no matter where the, the life cycle of the debt is, it's released, what would happen? What would be the economic impact? And it was really interesting uh, it, it said that, like, this would bring people up out of poverty. It said, this would ben- who would this benefit most? This benefits the poor, the lowest, uh, the lowest part of our society. It benefits and it has amazing blessing on the poor. Who does this harm the most? The rich, those who have everything. Uh, it hurts them the most. And those who lend money. But again, the concern of the passage is not the money lenders, but the poor. The money lenders who have so much to lose. They've got the money to lend, to give. But the poor are desperate, have no other option. And here's a way for the Israelite people to bring people out of poverty. Their need not be any poor among us, among God's people. In verse 8 to 11, Moses, like, Moses, as a pastor, he addresses the Israelites' heart. He says, uh, rather, um, Sorry, verse 7, verse 7. If anyone is poor among your fellow, fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Because when it, when it comes to a system like this where after seven or six or five or three or two or even one year, we've got to release this debt but what about my money? What about my things? And this hard-hearted of, of this selfish attitude, this close-fisted, Moses says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. We need a change of heart. And then Moses, he addresses the heart and then he addresses the will. In verse 9, he says, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of canceling debt is near so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Then they may appeal to the Lord against you and you'll be found guilty of sin. It's a change of will, a change of desire. It's no, long, no longer, how can I protect myself? How can I protect my possessions? To how can I bless these people? How can I show generosity to those around me? A change of heart, a change of will, and then a change of action. Uh, verse 10, give generously to them and do so, do so without a grudging heart. Then because the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, 
and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. It's interesting, God says the goal is no poor people. But he acknowledges that the Israelites aren't so great at obeying his commands. There will always be poor people. There will always be poor people. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed. Open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Moses calls for a change of heart, a change of will, a change of hands. This kind of radical generosity takes action. It takes action. As people are are given loans, are offered opportunities, and then those things are released when that seventh year comes along. Now, this will be hard. Moses recognizes that it takes a sacrifice, that this will hurt people financially. Like This is livelihoods. This is their income. This is their, their herds, their cattle. But that's the kind of radical generosity we're called to demonstrate. Generosity that takes a sacrifice, that hurts us but heals others. That is the generosity that demonstrates the character of, of God our Father. The next thing that Moses talks about is releasing slaves. Again, very different to our own experience today. And even reading this, uh, we might think, if, like, is this endorsing slavery? And certainly people over the years have turned to passages like this to say, the Bible's pro-slavery. That's not a great thing. And um, I would say this is not so much about endorsing slavery, but accommodating a system that was just there in that time and culture. And uh, it, it's really interesting uh, to compare what the Bible says, and specifically Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy 15 says about slaves, and compare that to other uh, ancient Near East instructions and manuals on how uh, to manage your slaves. Now, I haven't done that, uh, but there's this person, Daisy Sai, who wrote a book, uh, Human Rights in Deuteronomy. And she uh, studies deeply all the other literature there at the time that talks about owning slaves. And there's, there's actually quite radical differences in the other cultures and how other cultures handled slavery and how Deuteronomy handled slavery. One of them, and probably the most significant, is that Deuteronomy treats slaves as people. It treats slaves as people, not property. In every other culture, slaves is property to be used and abused. But here, very clearly, slaves are treated as people with rights. Also, interestingly, women are given just as much rights as men. Female slaves and male slaves, equal rights. Very radical in that, in that time and culture. And the other one is when they are released. There, are, there were instructions for, in other cultures to release slaves. Like that's, that was, it wasn't a unique thing in Deuteronomy. But the difference is when they're released, slaves are to be set up. Set up. And it says in um, uh, verse 13, when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Uh, 
So when slaves are released, they're not just released, you're free to go and they go away with nothing. And if they go away with nothing, they've got no opportunity, no possessions, nothing. And their only option is just to go back into slavery, potentially to someone else and someone worse. But when slaves are released for the Jewish people, you release them, you set them up so that they can go out, not as a slave, but go out as a citizen and have their own possessions and their own families, their own livelihood. They're not just released, they're set up. They're not just set free, they're set up as citizens of Israel. Now, there is an exception that's discussed uh, that what if a slave actually doesn't want to leave their master? And it's like, well, that's, that's a good thing. You'd hope that in, in the Hebrew setting that slaves actually enjoyed serving Hebrew families if they're to treat slaves as God intended. And of course, there'll be a case that's like, oh, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave this household, this family. And if that's the case, Moses explains, uh, what do we do in that situation? Uh, we take an awl and push it through the earlobe, earlobe into the door. That sounds pretty extreme. Like you imagine putting a, a nail through there into a door. Like I'm stuck there. <laughs> Assume the nail's taken out <laughs> at some point. But the point of this, the ear represents obedience. I'm not exactly sure why, but that's what it does. It represents obedience. And it's representing obedience. Uh, obedience to this household for life. And that's what all that uh, is, is to, to show and demonstrate. And you do it for the same for your female servants, male and female, equal rights. Otherwise, if, if they don't want to stick around, they're to be freed after six years. And this is slightly different to the other Law, the d- releasing debts is there's a seven-year mark that wherever the debt is at, it's released. This one is slaves were to work six years, and then on day one of year seven, they're released. And of, of course, this is going to, to hurt the masters. To lose a slave who's been working for them and obedient to them and helping them with their livelihood, helping them manage their family, helping them manage their herds, helping them manage their households. To lose that is a big sacrifice to, the, to those families. And God says, be generous, set them up. His, he says, don't complain, but be thankful Verse 18, don't consider it a hardship that you set your servant free because their service to you these six years have been worth twice as much as that of a hard hand. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Don't consider a hardship, a burden, a curse to set this slave free. But give thanks for the time they've been serving you. And of course, of course, it's going to cost people to set slaves free. Of course, it's going uh, to hurt. That's what makes it generous. That's what makes it sacrificial. And that's what makes it reflect the generous, sacrificial love that the Israelites were shown. God, And this, this came up 
again and again and again. I wonder if you heard it as the passage was read. Again and again and again, God mentions how He was the one that saved Israel from slavery. He is the one that blesses generously the people of Israel. In verse 4, in verse 6, in verse 7, in 10, 14, 15, 18, God is the one that blesses generously the people of God. God is the one that saves them from slavery. And it's that same love, that same generosity the Israelites are to extend to each other. They belong in God's house. So they act like their father. Now, of course, it was going to cost them. When we give to the poor, we don't end up with more. We end up with less. But that's what makes it sacrificial. Debts, sorry, um, when this kind of sacrificial service happens in community, in the people of God, everyone wins. Everyone wins. God promises to bless the Israelites if they were to do this. Again and again, he says he'll bless Israel if they were to release debts, if they were to give slaves over. And this will pick up the whole community out of poverty, there'll be no poor among you. No one among them will be in want, would, would need anything. And as a society, this will be lifted up. It's interesting. Um, there, was, there was a historical study done on America and why over such a long period of time, why did the U.S. Uh, get so prosperous? Uh, and one study suggested it was because of their concern for the poor. And it was rights that, like, every child, every person deserves an education. Every person deserves to be released from poverty and given an opportunity. Every person has, has an identity, has rights, has value. And that created a system where people were raised out of poverty and there was a lot of philanthropy and, and generosity uh, that was right. People were raised out of poverty. People uh, who then inspired creativity out of really hard situation that paved the way for American prosperity. And now the, the values that drove that kind of thinking was Christian values. Values like this we're reading in Deuteronomy 15. That we are generous towards the poor because God's been generous to us. Care for God's people should not be about how much it costs me, but how much it blesses others. Now, debts are forgiven every seven years. Slaves are set free and uh, set up. The rich, particularly being radically generous because God is radically generous. This was to lift and... Um, uh, yeah, lift Israel out of poverty, create them into a community that would lead the charge in global economy and global prosperity. But unfortunately, Israel's not so great at following God's commands. And that's not the story that the Bible demonstrates. But what about us? What about us? We're not, we're not in Israel these laws don't directly apply to us because we're not in the land that Moses is speaking of. But we have been shown generosity well beyond the Israelites. God saved them, 
the Israelites from Egypt. God has saved us from sin and from the world and from evil, from death. God has been radically generous with the Israelite people, providing them with the land. God has been radically generous with Christians because He's given us life and He's promised us a place that we will dwell with Him forever. We have been shown radical generosity beyond our wildest dreams. How are we going to show radical generosity to those around us? And I think all of us need our hearts changed, our hearts aligning, knowing that we are forgiven, we are set free from this selfish, hard-hearted, self-preservation attitude. Our wills are to be aligned with God. He is deeply concerned with the poor and the sick and the hurting in the world. He's deeply concerned about that. Are we concerned about that too? And God wants to change our hands. What are we going to do? What are we actually going to do? How are we called to be generous like God has been generous towards us? Or where, where have we been holding back and protective and uh, precious about our own things, our own situations. I want to um, uh, mention Trish, uh, who is radically generous. Uh, someone within our community. I did get a slight permission before. So. Trish, uh, giving, like, giving up time in Australia and going and traveling around the world with Samaritan's Purse in, in uh, Greece during COVID, uh, to Ukraine, to Turkey. A lot of people looking at, at how she spent her time and how she spent her money would go, oh, that's a bit irresponsible and that's a bit, that's a bit crazy. It's a bit radical. But the, here is someone, and I, like Trish, you talk to her, it's not a big deal. It's not like, look at me, I'm doing all these amazing things, radical things around the world. She comes across as like, yeah, this is just what we do as Christians. This is, this is just how I'm living out my faith and responding to the generosity I've been shown as a child of God. This is just what Christians do. This is what it's like to live in the house of God. Radical generosity. The Hohedii team. Uh, they're not being paid to go over. They're paying to go over and to serve and support and to partner with, with that team over in Hohidii. It's generosity. There's other ways and other ways I think we can be challenged. One way is, um, is how do we think about our shopping and our, our possessions, our things? Uh, Baptist World Aid, every year they come out with the ethical shopping guide. Uh, the ethical, sorry, ethical fashion guide. I was telling Emily, um, I was going through my sermon with Emily yesterday and she said, oh, Nick, you need to be careful about what you wear tomorrow. Make sure that what you wear is very ethical. And I, was like, I don't really know. <laughs> but uh, can I have that slide? Here's, here's the QR code. Uh, you can go and scan it right now. That'll take you to Baptist World Aid uh, with the resources, the ethical fashion guide. Um, that's worth looking at. That's worth reviewing. I'm glad there's some phones out. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, just to help us think about where are we spending our money and how is that money and that spending and those clothes, that fashion, affecting other people. Now, this is hard because cheap clothes are easy to come by. But cheap clothes 
someone pays for it somewhere. Someone pays for it somewhere. So what are we doing to show the radical generosity in what we wear? But also, even on another scale, what about our hospitality? What about uh, how, how are we inviting people over to our houses? Who are we inviting over into our houses, into our homes, into our spaces? And I, I get the challenge. Like, life is busy. Life is full. And, um, and, you know, we've got our family to sort out. We've got lots going on. And, of course, it's going to be a sacrifice. Of course, it's going to be tricky. But the, the step of inviting someone into your home, it just shows generosity, creates a connection that, you know, so many people just don't get anywhere else. And I wonder, as a community... And even if we just start with each other, start talking about, uh, let's start inviting each other into our homes, into our spaces. Um, And this is for us as well. We haven't done this for quite some time. And like, you know, if you can't cook, cook, that's fine. Just get chicken and chips. That's what we do. I love it. No one one complains about having chicken and chips, right? And the the Allgate Chip Shop around the corner has sponsored this message. They do great chips. (laughs) Best chips in the Adelaide Hills, I reckon. <laughs> How can we be generous? How can we be radically generous? And maybe that's something to talk about over coffee later. And, and maybe as you invite someone over to your house or, or what, during the week. How can we be more radically generous? Give until it hurts. But don't focus on the hurt, focus on the healing, the hope, the blessing that that brings. Because we, this is God's house. This is where we belong. He's adopted us into, our, into his family. He's shown us generosity beyond our wildest dreams. This is how God acts towards us, with radical generosity. So how are we going to act towards the world? How are we going to act towards the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for your love, for your generosity, for saving us, for adopting us into your family, for giving us new life, for blessing us with with homes, with roofs over our head, with food on the table, with clothes, with schooling and education, there's so much you've given us. And Lord, Lord, in this area, we are very well off. We're a very, very um, wealthy community. And Lord we, Lord, we pray that we would not be protective of our wealth. We would not be concerned about maintaining that status quo. But Lord, change our hearts to be hard-hearted and close-fisted open-handed. Lord, grow in us this spirit of radical generosity with our time, with our money, with our mental energy, with our emotional capacity. And Lord, we pray that, that, that as we dig in deeper into who you are, as we grow closer to you, as we spend our time with you, 
both individually and as a community, that that would transform this community, that we would become more like you and more generous like you, that we would be a shining light into the world, not just with the hope and the truth of Jesus, but with the same concern and love that you show the world for the poor, for the hurting, for the broken. Or show us where you want us to step into, where we can be more radically generous. And give us the courage to step into that. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We want to be more like you. So do that transformation in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.